A lot of times people that struggle with alcohol use disorder, they never talk about it. We're emergency doctors. We see people on their worst day. We're in a unique position where we can access people. They have to know that they're at rock bottom before they're willing to accept help. We're here to empower high income earners to gain back control of your time through financial independence and stop trading your time for money and start letting your money work harder for you. And hey, if you want to meet other high income earners on their FIRE journey, join our High Income Earners FIRE Facebook group. Every month we'll have guest speakers and we'll share about what our team is currently working on and allow you to share what you are working on with other high income earners. High Income Earners FIRE podcast is brought to you today by Bonavest Capital, where we partner with investors to build up passive income through real estate syndications and start living a lifestyle by design. As well as Say Yes Stock Option Investing, where we show high income earners how to generate consistent cash flow with your phone and accelerate your journey to financial freedom. So hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of High Income Earners Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Ye. Today is our first in-person interview with Dr. Bu. I'll introduce you later on. But first, I want to say my co-host, Aline Prague, just got sent back to work. She will not be joining us, of course, in person because I'm in Toronto, Canada. She's down in San Diego, U.S., but today we have a really great guest and the reason for this podcast might not be directly related to how do you make more money, how do you get out of your 95 rat race, but it's more towards how a lot of high income earners or high achievers might be run into a lot of a mental illness, some depression and a lot of that. And we see a lot more of that after COVID. So today we have Dr. Bu here. Dr. Bu is the authority in the ER department at Mount Sinai, and he's also the director that does a lot of research and see a lot of uh, patients firsthand. So I want him to tell us his personal story and why it's an important matter to focus on even now. Okay, so welcome, Dr. Bu. Thanks for inviting me, Cody. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So Dr. Bu, can you tell us kind of a little bit short story of how you got into physician and how do you become the ER director and kind of leads you up to this point? So I'm a career emergency physician. I've been practicing here at Sinai Health at Mount Sinai Hospital for the last 28 years. And I'm the director, not of our emergency department, but of our research and academic arm of the emergency department, the Schwartz-Riesman Emergency Medicine mm -hmm. Institute, or SHREMI, as we call it. My path to medicine and to emergency medicine still is a little bit surprising to me to be perfectly honest. Before I went to medical school, I spent quite a number of years in graduate school. I did a master's and then a PhD in pharmacology. Yeah. And then I went to medical school. And I'll have to tell you, we're going to talk a little bit today about mental health and addiction problems. We're going to talk a lot about that. And one of my thoughts when I got into medical school and decided I was going to go was, I want to get as far away from my own personal family drama related to those problems as possible. And I really thought, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to, I'm going to be a lot of other nice doctors, we're not going to be around people who suffer from addiction. Yeah. And then I made a mistake. Well, I didn't make a mistake, but I went into emergency medicine. I didn't know that addiction and mental health was such an enormous component of what I would be dealing with for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I kind of have come full circle in that journey. And at the moment, my personal area of research interest relates to addiction and mental health. And we're trying to raise money right now for a chair 
and a chair for people who some people don't fully understand what a chair is. I try and explain it to my kids that they still don't get it. Yeah. They think it's physically a chair, but yeah. a chair is a person who is an expert in an area whose job it is to do research, advocacy, knowledge translation in a focused area and to try and improve patient care within that area. So we're raising money right now for Canada's first ever emergency medicine chair in addictions and mental health. Mm -hmm. And I guess over the course of this conversation, hopefully it'll become a little bit clear why we feel we need a national leader whose job it is to specifically work on this problem and hopefully try and change the course and outcomes for patients that we see. Yeah, I'm sure those all the details will come out as we talk. I know we chat offline about, and you actually said that since earlier stage, you were trying to stay away from even if you go into doctor, you want to stay away from people who are mentally ill and all that. But just the offline we're chatting, there's someone in your family that might be suffering from that. Do you mind, like, does that have any impact on you? Yeah, um, it had a... So I grew up in the family, my father was an alcoholic, and the impact that it has growing up in a family with somebody who suffers from a substance use disorder is pretty profound through all your formative years. There's a, I have reason to know that there's also other people in my family who've suffered similar fates. And the truth is my father had an illness that was beyond his control and had that illness at a time when there really wasn't much, honestly, that anybody could do to help people. And his story ended up being like, I'm sure many of your viewers have family members or no people, everybody has a family member or knows somebody who's suffered from a mental health problem or a substance use problem. So I think the bad outcomes in those stories are pretty familiar to a lot of people. In my father's case, he lost his job, he lost his marriage, he lost his housing. And I was telling you offline, you know, the last Christmas I spent with my father was in the Salvation Army where he was staying because he was homeless and had no other place to be. So there's lots of terrible stories like that of people who my father was a bank executive and had a pretty successful career before it was all undone by substance use. And he was powerless to control it. And initially, I just wanted to get away from that, living with that. But like I said, I've come full circle and I've come to appreciate these are such common problems. And the truth is, there's a lot of people who still have a great deal of difficulty. I would say most, almost all people who suffer from addiction have a great deal of problem or difficulty coming to the point where they're willing to accept help. And then when they are willing to accept help, finding it. And so that's something that I think emergency physicians understand better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. I work in a downtown urban tertiary care university affiliated hospital. Mm -hmm. We have a high number of patients who are homeless, who have mental health problems, who have substance use problems. This is my daily bread, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody understands this reality more than emergency physicians do. Do you see more of the cases after COVID after all the lockdown, do you guys see a surge of numbers? We've seen a large increase in mental health related complaints and substance use related complaints. You may or may not have read LCBO sales are up 40% since the beginning of the pandemic. Overall, alcohol consumption continues to grow as do other substances. Marijuana was legalized in on, across Canada, Ontario. Mm -hmm. 
we see increasing numbers of people with problems related to cannabis. And then we see these other absolutely horrific problems related to opioids use, opioid use and stimulant use, in particular crystal methamphetamine. Yeah, so there's a whole array of things. Again, I'm not a doctor here, but like Dr. Bu here, definitely see a surge in all kinds of substance abuse. And thanks for sharing your own family story. And I have my own, I'm not gonna share on this podcast, but I'm sure all of my, our listeners have something to relate to. But I wanna hear some of the happy ending stories. I know we're raising money for this chair right now, but right now we don't have a chair yet. So like yourself and other physicians are going out of their way, go above and beyond. You guys don't get paid extra for that, but you guys took on patients, but there's gonna be a limit for that before it can actually compromise on your personal life and relationship, right? So that's why it's so important for this chair. But can you share some of the stories, like uh, how you guys personally help or some of your physician circle has helped and has really truly turned someone's life around? It's very interesting, Cody. There have been medications available to help treat people with alcohol use disorder for decades. Almost nobody with alcohol use disorder ever gets prescribed those medications. I think there's probably a lot of complicated reasons for that. A lot of times people who struggle with alcohol use disorder don't see their family doctor. They never talk about it. It mm -hmm. can fly under the radar. They can be functioning reasonably well until one day they're not. So nobody ever brings it up and nobody ever suggests it. And the same thing is true, frankly, for opioid use disorder as well. There's good treatment available, but people like that don't make their way into primary care. They don't get seen by psychiatrists and they don't find their way to addiction medicine clinics because they're unaware of all of these things. The people who are really best suited to see people with those problems, we see them every day with problems related to that issue. You get intoxicated, you fall down your head. You get intoxicated, you get in a fight. You get intoxicated, you crash your car, right? Mm -hmm. You get intoxicated, you get medically sick and you go into withdrawal. So we're in a unique position where we can access people. Maybe at the time when speaking with lots of alcoholics and addicts, they have to know that they're at rock bottom before they're willing to accept help. So maybe some of them are willing to do that. And so what we're trying to do is educate emergency physicians about how to care for these problems. Traditionally, emergency physicians haven't really thought of these things as being part of their job, right? We're there to look after people with heart attacks and yeah. gunshot More wounds. Symptom, but not critically the ill, right? Yeah. We're dealing with the end of the problem. Yeah, but not the and these cost. sort of the reason that emergency medicine came about in the first place was because somebody needed to be there to respond to that, right? So we definitely do those things, mm -hmm. but because we're open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, you don't need an appointment and we never turn anybody away, we end up looking after a lot of different patients. Mm -hmm. So a lot of emergency medicine teaching is focused on that sort of TV drama type stuff, but the reality is this whole area of addiction and mental health is something that has not received a lot of attention. And we think, I mean, there's solutions available. We just need to teach emergency physicians how to do that. And we need to teach family doctors and primary care doctors how to follow those patients up. I work in an academic health science center. We train physicians of all kinds. Part of their training should be, and in our emergency department is, how do we care for these patients who have these problems? You shouldn't graduate from a program and not know what to do or think you have to refer them to a specialist care. Yeah, definitely open up a big can of worms here, but it's good that Dr. B is definitely you know, pushing for it. So if we come back to 
all this before we have a chair. I know you guys are doing it personally and have other physicians helping out. You're kind of sharing offline of like one or two stories that some success stories and just proven that it could work, right? And it's amazing when you encounter people who are recovered addicts. It's incredible to realize, like we see people on their worst day and you don't realize they go back to work and they're music producers and they have jobs and they work in banks and they're lawyers and right, they're physicians who've gone out of substance use problems. One of our favorite teachers when I was a medical student, uh, we subsequently learned went into a treatment program for people with substance use disorders. He was a wonderful doctor and he was able to overcome his problem and go back to work. And he's still a wonderful doctor and a great physician for his patients and a great teacher. And he was able to overcome those problems. So we see in the emergency department, I don't often get to see the end of the story, but because of this interest, I do have a couple of stories of people that I sort of took a personal interest in or followed. I could tell you one of them was a person who came to us he was probably in the same state my father was, truthfully. He had uh, lost his job, had lost his means of support, was unable to pay his mortgage, his family, he was estranged from his family, and his wife had finally thrown him out, and he was living on the street, drinking, and that's what he was doing. He was drinking, rubbing alcohol, and whatever he could get his hands onto, and he was very sick. And when he came to us, we said, okay, do you want to change? And he said, yes. And, but nobody had ever tried to help him. Mm-hmm. So we started him on some, there's a class of medications called anti-craving medications, which are very effective. We started him on some anti-craving medication, but he didn't have anybody to follow up with. He didn't have a family doctor anymore. He had nobody. So we were emergency doctors. We can't follow people indefinitely. But it happened that I was working that evening with a family medicine trainee who said, I'll take you on in my teaching practice. And he showed up for his appointments, his medication worked, Mm -hmm. and we actually published a case report about him Mm. a year later. He had achieved sobriety, he'd been sober for a year, he had regained the trust of his family, he was reconnected with his spouse and his kids, he was back living in the family home and was working. Like a transformative experience for somebody who only just by luck found somebody that knew what to do to help him and was able to sort of say, how can we help support this person into the future? I had another case of a young patient. He came in and the thing that had prompted his visit was a sense of panic and despair. This person had a history of opiate use disorder in their family and had had a family member who had had an overdose and was presently in an intensive care unit who was being considered for organ transplant because they'd had irrevocable brain damage because opiates make you stop breathing and you become you don't have enough oxygen for you it causes significant problems with your brain mm-hmm. and this person could look down the road they'd been started on a prescription for some pain medicine by a doctor for a sore back not surprisingly like opiates do for a lot of people it relieves a lot of their anxiety and made them feel a lot better and they subsequently started buying pills on the street And then before they really knew what had happened there, everything was completely out of control. But this moment where their family member, an uncle that they loved, was now on life support and intensive care unit made a very, very strong impression on that person. And she came to the hospital asking for help. And again, it just turned out that I knew exactly what medication to put her on. 
I was able to arrange follow-up with her with a colleague at a rapid access addiction medicine clinic. This was a person who was working, but it was in jeopardy of losing their job. And I followed up because I know the people that provided the follow-up care. Both of those people are living happy, successful lives, right? Post-addiction, they're in recovery. They will always have a substance use disorder, so they're going to have to be mindful of that and manage that for the rest of their lives. But they're like, they're having a really good life right now compared yeah. to where they started. Yeah. So the reason this chair is so important is because I'm one person who happens to have an interest. This is my area of research. But most of the time, if those people came to an emergency department, they might not find somebody. I'm not trying to blow my own horn, but they might not find somebody who mm-hmm. knows exactly what to do or even feels necessarily that that's an emergency physician's job. We want to change that narrative. We need a leader, which is what this chair will be in the area of emergency mental health and addictions so that they'll be able to help influence a narrative, right? How are these people going to be cared for? And I I think hopefully we'll be able to have an impact there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And before we have this chair, what can people do if they notice that someone around them might have some symptom? Just symptoms. Maybe I'm not sure, but symptoms of drug abuse and all that. How do they identify those and what should they do at this stage before you have a chair? I think family members know when somebody in their family is struggling. (laughs) I think that they find out, maybe they find out a little bit later than they would have liked to. But I think most people know. The question is how to engage that person. And the way to do it, I think, is to engage that person in a non-accusatory way. And just say, look, here's what I think. I think you're, or what I see is you appear to be struggling with this problem. I will be very happy to help you try and get some help if you're willing to accept it. And then try and help that person find that help. One place to start could be the family doctor. If the family doctor is unsure of what to do, they may be aware of some resources where they could send somebody. Another option is around at least the city of Toronto and in many places in Ontario. If you look up Rapid Access Addiction Medicine Clinic or RAM, R-A-A-M. R-A-A-M. Yep. Those are a series of government-funded clinics started by a colleague of mine, a research colleague, who does only addiction medicine. And they will provide low barrier, no cost, compassionate and up-to-date care for people who suffer from substance use problems. And they also recognize that many people who have substance use disorders are self-medicating some underlying mental health related issue related to anxiety or depression or some other things. There's a lot of people in the world who suffer from trauma and a lot of bad things have happened in their life. And this is a way they try and cope. And they recognize that and appreciate it and will help address those issues as well. So if your family doctor doesn't know what to do, you can look online, certainly in the city of Toronto and many larger centers in Canada, there are rapid access addiction medicine clinics mm-hmm. where you can access help. And how does the service of that differentiate of the chair that you're setting up for now? What's the difference between those two? So people get a... So, so those are addiction medicine clinics. Yeah. They're only open for a few hours a day. That's not where people with alcohol use disorder who get in a fight at two o'clock in the morning and get their face punched in and their teeth knocked out show up, right? That's where you have to be willing to go for help. 
So that's the first thing. And they're great resources, and I send a lot of people there. But they're also very limited, right? There's only a set number of them. And when I speak to colleagues who work in North Bay or Thunder Bay or other places that are more remote, not to dismiss those places, but away from large urban centers, Peterborough, I know, until I think pretty recently was having a lot of difficulty with this. They don't have any rapid access addiction medicine clinic. There's nobody there to do that work. Mm -hmm. So even if the doctor in the eMERGE wants to try and do something, there's nobody to fill the prescription and do the follow-up. Medication is one part of it. The psychosocial support and treatment is another big piece of it. Some people will be able to find their way to an AA group, for example, and that will provide the kind of support that they need. And people who've been through those programs speak extremely highly of it, mm -hmm. but it's not everybody's cup of tea. So really, we want to influence the discussion of what happens in the emergency department, try and initiate these treatments here. I think it'll be more effective. We want to do the research to prove that. And then also, because we work in teaching centers, teach people who train here how to manage these problems, mm -hmm. right? You can't have a specialist for everything. There just mm -hmm. aren't enough people ever for mm -hmm. that. So it's got to become a bread and butter primary care job. And I see that as the role when family medicine trainees and psychiatry resident trainees come and work in our emergency departments with us. These are places where they can learn those skills. And so that's what I see us, that's the contribution I can see us making. And doing the research, right? Mm -hmm. Doing the research about what's the best way to get that person to show up in a place where they will have ongoing treatment and ongoing care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all very great resources for our audience. And I just want to ask you this question. It might be a dumb question, but anyone can subject to this, right? No matter where you are, what do you do, what social status you are, high-income earner, low-income earners, everyone is subject to this. And actually, that more responsible people has more responsibility might be even more subject to prone to subject to this kind of right i think people with a lot of resources are able to cover up and have people around them that can help cover up some of what's going on in their life but i can tell you with a hundred percent clarity and certainty these are problems that affect poor people, they affect middle-class people, they affect wealthy people, they affect the uber-wealthy people. Everybody has these problems. I've seen people from every strata of life in my clinical world who have suffered from these kinds of problems. If not them, their kids. If not their kids, their grandkids. These are common, common problems that affect absolutely everybody. Mm -hmm. Is that something in the genes that make some people more prone to this kind of things or could it be passed down in the genes or is more of an after environment thing? I think the whole study of what's called genomics, right? Like certain people have genes for something. Some people develop the problem. Some people don't. I don't think people understand yet what makes that change happen. I will say that I'm, I have a friend and him and his brother he has an identical twin brother and both of them are uh, alcoholics. Mm -hmm. One of them just passed his second year of sobriety mm -hmm. and is very pleased and is running his own business and very happy. Mm -hmm. And his brother, unfortunately, is not doing so well. So there's identical twin brothers, both with alcoholism, one who's able to get into recovery and one who's not yet. Mm -hmm. So it's a very complex topic that I don't think is fully understood. Yeah. Well. We're going to keep this video very short and compact. 
But where can people hear about your research or about the Mount Sinai's chair? Where can people hear more about it if they want to read more about it? Where can they go? So you can come to the Schwarz-Wiesman Emergency Medicine website, SHREMI, and you can read about the kind of work that we're doing here at our institute. You can go to the Mount Sinai Hospital Foundation page. If you're interested in making a contribution to support this, they will happily take small gifts and large gifts alike. The way it works for a chair is we are raising $3 million for this chair. It's going to be an endowed chair, which means that that money will be put in the bank and then the person will be supported, their work, their salary, the money for graduate students and stuff will come from the interest off that investment over time. Mm -hmm. So the money is being raised through Mount Sinai Hospital, through the Mount Sinai Hospital Foundation. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's interested and wants to get in touch with me, I'm yeah. easy enough to find. Yeah, we will put a link in the description if anyone want to read more about it, want to donate any amount you think that can relate to and just donate to a good cause. There's many good causes out there. Just so happened that this cause truly impact myself and Dr. Bu. So that's why we're chatting about this. Usually we have a fire round question, kind of blow through to ask my guests, but I only have one fire round question for you is why are you doing this like because you don't get paid extra for this like why are you putting extra work like putting your sticking your head at NECO asking for money coming up with this chair why does it really truly matters to you I think a lot of people go into medicine for lots of different reasons I think at our core all of us at least started in medicine because we wanted to be doctors Mm -hmm. and we wanted to try and have an impact on people and be helpful And I think all of us do that in one way or another. And this is my way. I always knew that if I was a physician, I wanted to work in a hospital setting. I wanted to look after sick people. And I wanted to do something about problems that help find solutions to problems that are difficult and that people have not found solutions for yet. So my main mission and the main mission of our institute is to advance academic emergency medicine. Emergency medicine is a relatively new discipline. And so I feel strongly obligated and invested in trying to advance the role of emergency physicians in emergency medicine. And I think this is a perfect opportunity to do that. So that's what I'm passionate about. Great. Well, thanks for coming on, Dr. Bu. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure. So as you guys know, if you want more information, it's definitely going to be in the description. Today is a definitely a special episode. Hope you guys enjoy. See you guys on the next one. All the links mentioned in this episode are included in the show notes. And if you love this episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. The link is also included in the show notes. And we would really appreciate your help in spreading the word to more high income earners on how they too can maximize both their time and money. Also, if you still haven't joined our high income earners Facebook group, you are missing out on high income earners community where we help each other reach our own version of fire.